funny thing was, is that as I was going to the bathroom, I was like, I forgot to bring my phone, so I can't multitask in here. <laughs> this is a fit mess with Zach and Jeremy. Yeah, it is. Thanks for being there. Thanks for listening to this eighth episode of the Fit Mess. I'm Jeremy. That guy's Zach. What's up, everyone? And this is a weird show for me because uh, you're moving, dude. I you're, am. You're on a plane tomorrow. Tomorrow. One o'clock. I hate you lots for that, by the way. Yeah, I understand. That's mm-hmm. what I keep hearing. Mm-hmm. Everyone keeps telling me that they're sad to see me go, but then they hate me at the same time. I'm not quite sure which is true. Yeah. So you're the worst, you're the best, all that stuff. Uh, our guest on this particular episode is Dr. Natalia Peart. She is the author of Future Proofed, How to Navigate Disruptive Change, Find Calm and Chaos, and Success in Work and Life. We're going to talk specifically about multitasking because that's something that is, I'm sure, I'm, I'm not you, I haven't been with you every minute, but I'm sure that's dominated your life as you've prepared to move across the country 3,000 miles away. It has. <laughs> But at the same time, I've I've done a lot of work on multitasking because I always thought I was good at multitasking, but you don't really multitask. You do one task at a time, and then you switch to another task, and your quality level is going to go down every time you switch to another task. So I recognized it years ago that the more I multitask, the lower quality my, my work was. Whether it was personal stuff, you know, work stuff, mm-hmm. didn't matter. So Well, and there's so much research now that shows that every time you make that shift, it's uh, I can't remember the, the amount of time, but it's... I, th- I believe like, several minutes. Like, it's like 15 minutes to get back minutes. into whatever it was you were doing. If you were specifically, if you were like in in the zone, like if you were if you were in a flow state, mm-hmm. and somebody interrupts you, it's going to take at least 15 minutes to get back into that zone. Yeah, where you're you're doing your best work. And that is a constant struggle for everyone in a modern office space, especially if yours is like mine, where it's the open office plan with a bunch of cubicles, and anyone can walk by at any time with any nonsensical rambling about whatever and you know despite your best efforts uh with headphones on you clearly look busy someone will hey did you see this movie or you know or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. it is and it's like it's so hard to stay focused in that environment and add to it that your phone is probably sitting next to your computer where every couple minutes there's a new email there's a something pops up on twitter something pops up on facebook whatever wherever you're plugged in you're constantly connected and available for someone to bother you and so Really doing anything effectively is almost impossible, and that's I'm, I really envy people that can work from home where there is fewer distractions, and, and you can really just dial in to what you need to do yeah. un- unless you're multitasking and also having your kid at home. It's done. Usually for me, it involves, here's a movie, mm-hmm. go watch it, and I will be in the next room banging away at my keyboard right. trying to get work done, yeah. and then when that movie's over, well, okay, sure, just this one time, you can watch another movie, right. <laughs> and then- Two hours later, you're like, I still have work to do. Right. All right. One more movie you can watch. The Star Wars trilogy has bailed so many working parents out <laughs> of this situation. <laughs> I wouldn't say my daughter. The Star Wars trilogy has bailed my daughter out. Actually, that would be a bad situation all around because if I played the Star Wars trilogy, I'd end up just watching it. you just it watch it. That's true. Work, so. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, all right. So uh, take us through a little bit of your uh, process lately, what you've had to do to, to get out of here. Uh, so again, I, I think we talked a little bit on the last show. I'm leaving. I'm leaving now, and my family's following along in in June. So we had a bunch of projects that we had to get done around the house before I left. We're trying to find someone to finish the projects so that I can't get done. I've had to coordinate shipping my car, you know, packing the essentials that I need, realizing that my clothes are not appropriate for New York. I think. <laughs> 
the high there yesterday was three degrees with like a negative <laughs> 20 wind chill. Dude. And I don't really have long, like other than dress shirts, which I don't have to wear to work anymore. I don't have long sleeve shirts uh-huh. and I don't have a heavy jacket unless it's like a, you know, heavy duty, a ski jacket, right? which I'm not going to wear to work. <laughs> so just realizing I need to go shopping, I need clothes and uh, the plane ticket, just just a ton of things. So in my mind, I, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, three, four years ago figuring out how to multitask mm-hmm. or rather put how not to multitask. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, there's 10,000 different things you need to do. I just dump it all out of my brain onto a whiteboard and prioritize the tasks and pick one mm-hmm. and work on it until I reach a milestone or it's complete. And then I pick another and go on. Multitasking is just garbage. It's <laughs> That's the only way I'm getting through this is just picking one task and working on it and kind of, you know, I, I get it, all the other stuff out of my head by writing it down and... I don't know how true this is, but it, it works for me. I've read that if you write things down that mm-hmm. are worrying you or driving your anxiety, if you write it down, that that anxiety, that worry lives somewhere else, mm-hmm. and you can come back to it later. So that's why I use a whiteboard in my office at home. It's a place that I see all the time, right? and I know if I write it down there, I'm going to see it again, whereas if I write something down in a journal or a piece of paper, it will eventually get lost. It's funny, even even from a um, a meditation point of view, that also works. Where there have been times, this is actually a, a big way I got over my fear of flying was um, taking the time to meditate on on what the root of the anxiety was, and of course, it was fear of anything that could possibly go wrong. And that is a rational fear to have is to to be worried about something going wrong, but it's not helpful to have it with you for a six hour flight. It's not helpful to have it with you for the three months leading up to the trip. It doesn't do you any good until something actually goes wrong. Right. So this practice that I did that really helped me get over it was was just really visualizing during meditation, taking that anxiety, giving it a physical form, putting it in a box of some kind, and then putting that box up on a shelf where I knew I could get it. Right. And I, and I knew, like, it's there. I'm I'm aware of it. But it's put away and I don't need it right now. Mm-hmm. And through like the repetition of doing that practice, it really helped me to be able to identify uh, that the source of that fear and to deal with it in a much healthier way rather than, you know, sweating for months and then hours until the plane touched down and then sweating again for however long I was where I was going right. until I got back home. Because uh, that's interesting. Putting it in a box on a shelf, mm-hmm. you know where it is. Yep. That's so unlike like my house cuz if i put something in a box and put it on the Never shelf gonna see it's it gone again. but it's gone. but there's sort of a magic to that too where once you've put it away maybe it disappears maybe you forget where you put it that's true but then you know something goes wrong and you're screwed yes <laughs> so i'm a i'm a tech guy i really electronics anything anything computer i am i'm in one of the the selling points of a computer is that it multitasks mm-hmm. right and if you really break down a computer, it doesn't technically multitask. It serial tasks. Hmm. You know, you've got a processor and it feeds one set of instructions. It focuses diligently on that set of instructions, completes them, and then moves on to the next set and the next set and the next set. And the way your programs work, if, you know, you've got Word and Internet Explorer open at the same time, it just alternates. And it works on a little bit of each one of them. So this processor... 
even a computer that you think is multitasking, it really isn't because it's impossible to do two things at the same time. So, and now you, you know, take that example and think about it in our organic sack of meat up inside of our head <laughs> that isn't anywhere near as, as good as a, a computer processor as far as being able to focus right. on one task and trying to feed it the same way. It's, it's just going to fail. Well, and it's so interesting that, that, has been a requirement for so long in virtually every job interview I've ever had, uh, given, whatever, multitasking is a key aspect of every job interview still. And we know that it's not possible. We know that it's not an effective way to get anything done. Mm -hmm. So how do you combat that? What do you do to push back against a workplace, a family, a society that says, if you can't do everything at once, you're failing? We have an expert that can help us with some of these, uh, with some tips, with some advice on how to do it. Her name is Dr. Natalia Peart. She is the author of Future Proofed, How to Navigate Disruptive Change, Find Calm in Chaos, and Success in Work and Life. And we started by just talking in general about multitasking and the grip that it has on our lives. Right now, multitasking, as we all understand it, is when we are trying to do more things with less time. That's probably the simplest way to say it, right? So a lot of times we'll see ourselves, okay, you know what? I'm going to talk on the phone and I'm going to write an email or, okay, I'm in the car. I can do these things. I can talk to this person. I can, you know, so our lives right now are so busy, so fast paced. If I were to ask most of us right now, are you a good multitasker? We're all striving to be good multitaskers because we think that's a badge of honor, right? We're taking the, the limited amount of time, since time is a finite resource, and we're trying to squeeze in more things in that limited amount of time. So how does that play into the kinds of stress and burnout that so many people are dealing with? So the first thing I'm going to say about it is when we think we're multitasking, we're not. Here's what I mean by that. Our brain can process two different things at the same time. So in other words, you know, you know, moments of creativity, you're walking and all of a sudden, you know, a great creative thought hits your head or you're taking a shower. You're like, wow, I've just had this burst of inspiration. It's because those two tasks are not actually competing with each other. So there's something about letting your brain just kind of, you know, be in that resting state. It allows creativity and other things to flow. And you are not stressed out trying to do two things that are taxing your brain in the same way. However, what most of us are also trying to do is let's go back to the example of talking on the phone. And all of a sudden we see an email come up, right? Because we're always connected. So we're talking, an email comes up. Um, we, we now need to respond back immediately. Here's what we think we're doing. We think we're doing both at the same time. We're not. We're typing part of an email and then we're stopping and then we're talking on the phone. The other person is talking back to us. We're kind of not really listening because now our brain is trying to refocus again on what we were doing. So that's really serial tasking. But the problem with doing that is we're taxing our brain now. What our brain is doing is switching back and forth. Sometimes it takes up to 15 minutes. We're less productive. It's stressing us out. And it's taking overall longer 
probably with more mistakes. And that is what is also now continuing to feed the stress and burnout cycle because we are stressing our brains in ways that we are not even accounting for. But we're so conditioned and expected to operate and work this way. What if there's really nothing we can do about it? When we keep doing this, here's, what, here's the rest of the, the, the cycle that we're all in. We think, okay, well, maybe I'm still not getting enough done because I'm not good at multitasking. Let me keep multitasking. Let me work harder at it. So we just keep doing it more. We stop listening to our body signals that are telling us, you know what, you need to take a break. What do we do? We caffeine up. We sugar up. We load. Instead of listening to our bodies, we start to do all these other artificial things. And then we find ourselves crashing. We find ourselves in full burnout mode. And then when we have stopped being in burnout mode, we start it all over again, and there we are. That's the cycle that we're in. Okay, so what should we be doing? What we should be doing instead is saying, okay, our body natural rhythm, just like our sleep rhythm, every 90 to 120 120 minutes, we actually need to kind of take a bit of a break. So give ourselves a few minutes break where we are just walking. We are turning off. We're not thinking about what we were just doing. Our brain needs to kind of recharge itself. Get an exercise break. We all know it. we got to get up and walk. we got to stay active. We can't sit all day. Listen to music. Do anything that you have to do to help yourself Take natural restoration breaks. The other thing that we need to do is figure out throughout the day what are ways in which we can also pick up our energy a little bit. So in other words, we're, right now we spend a lot of our day doing things we have to do. What about the things we like to do, the things that bring us joy, bring us energy? Those things tend to fall to the bottom of our list. But the problem is, if they continue to fall to the bottom of the list and we're depleting our energy, we don't have the energy or, or the uh, mental space for anything else. So we have to now look at our day and say, where are those breaks that we are not only restoring, but we are picking up our energy? Based on what you just said, multitasking seems bad. And everyone thinks that it's good to, I mean, even to the point where there's all these open environments and offices that they think is better for collaboration, but nobody can get any focused work done. You're asking something that is really, really, really critical. And I think there needs to be a big shift in the way we understand this. The problem isn't that now our lives collectively, right, have just become too fragmented, too fast-paced. The whole is definitely greater than the sum of its parts now, right? So we are always on. We are always available. We're now all trying to split our lives in, in, in many different directions. Lots of people have side gigs. Depending upon your age, maybe you're taking care of parents as well as kids. You're trying to find time for your spouse. Our commutes are longer. But what we don't say is, you know what? We have set ourselves up for failure. Instead, as a society, we've all said, well, there's another way to fix this. Let's just 
find the thing that we all can do to be more productive. Let's find this tool. Let's find this app. Here's a cool new word, multitasking, because we are designed, right, to believe that we can control everything. And so we are now all on this quest that says, if we can learn to be more productive, we're going to win at this. What I'm saying is, no, you're not. Do you think it's any surprise that right now anxiety is the number one mental health condition? We're losing. We are losing at this. So how do you push back in, like like Zach was referencing, a professional environment where, like he said, the open concept uh, office space where anyone can stop by and interrupt you at any time, emails dinging every couple minutes with something new that you need to, to deal with. How, how do you sort of push back against those professional requirements that say you, this, is, this is the modern day? You, do need, you need to be able to do all these things immediately. To the point that you're making about the, you know, open office spaces, a lot of people are already pushing back. You know, it's just it's the constant noise. Here is a great thing um, that a lot of people do. They sometimes put a little sign on their little space that says, you know, look at work or, you know, or please do not disturb. I'm hard at work. So you're not you're not suggesting that. You don't want to talk to your colleagues, but what you are suggesting is right now I need to focus and so that people can see the boundary. If, we, if we're training everyone around us to, to believe that we are always available, then that's, that's going to be part of the problem. It's really funny. Before the show, I was literally saying to Zach, I think I'm going to put a do not disturb sign on my desk because I get so many interruptions that it's impossible to to avoid them. So it's so funny that that is kind of your first tip. That's hilarious. Absolutely. And I know I have done it. Um, you know, even as someone who has sat inside of an office, sometimes if my door is completely open, everybody knows, okay, you can come in because her door is open. But then everybody knew if my door was kind of half open, it means I'm actually doing something. So if it's important, you can come in, but if it's not, please wait. Now, if the door is shut, I'm sorry, what I'm doing is priority. And everybody got that really fast. Everybody got it really fast because I was always honest about when the door is open, it's open. And when I'm also wanting to kind of walk around and collaborate and do all those things, I'm open. But when I have to prioritize other things, Everybody understood it was shut. So the do not disturb is a really great idea with no apologies. Sometimes people make it fun. Sometimes they'll put like, you know, do you know those little staples, um, the, the red buttons or whatever? So if you have a green button, hey, I'm, I'm okay. If, if, it's, if the button <laughs> is red, folks, I'm working. Whatever it is that gives people a visual signal, I actually need this time and this space. It is the thing that we all now must do so that we can create some boundary for ourselves. I can see how that would work when you're dealing with people in person, but what about, you know, digital distractions? Everybody expects that you are available via email. We, we, we know that. It's hard to get away from it. I would say chunk it. So simply because 
you are always available doesn't mean that every single email is worthy of an immediate response. People know if something is really, really, really important, they're going to text because, okay, I'm going to see that. But if people are emailing, it really does not mean, and, you, and, and, and this is hard, so, so no, I'm saying this and every single day I'm working on this, right? Every single email that comes in as a distraction, you should set aside time to say, look, I'm going to take this batch, I'll take this batch, I'll take this batch, as opposed to every single moment is a moment that you can respond. It literally eats up our time, it creates no boundary, and we get to the end of the day, and you know what's happened? We didn't choose to do anything. All we did was be on call for life happening to us. So not only are you depleted, but also you feel like you're in a rat race because your life, you now turned it over to every signal every noise that's happening and you can't find your own signal. You got to find the signal in the noise. So I've got a question for you on specifically that. Quite a few years ago, I basically went to my boss and said, you know, email is not instant messaging. And if you expect immediate response from me, you can, you can message me. And I learned to, I actually turned my email off um, and only downloaded all my emails twice a day spent an hour, was very meticulous about um, not letting new emails come in while I was working on existing emails. And yeah. I got a large amount of pushback from yeah. uh, from the people I worked with, and they were very hesitant on it. And it, it, from, from my perspective as the employee, it was very uncomfortable because I had my boss and my boss's boss uh, telling me, uh, that, that that that's not really acceptable. But after a few months of it, I actually turned them on to it and they, they tried it out themselves. You know, what, is, is that a normal experience that I had where, where it's really uncomfortable for the person doing it to, to chunk their email like that? Or, or was I just an anomaly? I think that, um, first of all, let me applaud you being that brave, <laughs> Because most people would want to do exactly what you did. They simply don't have the courage to say, now, look, let me go ahead and set a boundary. And here's why. Because we've now all been trained to believe that life itself is going to stop if we can't constantly see the email chains that are happening all the time. So, you know, for some people, it might be that they say, look, I'm going to check toward the beginning, the middle, and the end, right? So maybe three times a day as opposed to two, because I could see where some people might push back and say, well, but what about, you know, the middle of the day or something like that? Yeah. To be frank, I think that as long as people know, if there is a true emergency, you are available, but I'm going to tell you where the nuance is in your story. We live right now in a much more networked and collaborative world, and most people now work in teams, or our projects tend to be a bit more team-based as opposed to more individual contributor-based. So the nuance in this 
story is, everyone also needs to ask themselves, how much of what I do is me doing a piece, tossing it over the wall, or do I need, do people need to be in constant communication on this particular project so that they can do their piece? So is it kind of like a hub and spoke? Is it, you know, lots of little nodes connecting to one another? You need to know that before you propose a solution. Because depending upon the answer to that question, the solution has to follow how you actually work. So if it's just lots of people tossing their individual contributions into um, the hub, then, okay, what's wrong? Because you're not stopping what they're doing. But if it's a real nodes, you know, what you do and your feedback also has has great bearing upon what the next person is doing and they need to know it real time because it's a lot more prototyped and agile and and all of us have to kind of co-create it, then absolutely saying I'm only going to be available twice might be more problematic. So if you can go with the solution that speaks to here is how we work, here is how I can make sure that I can get my work done, but everyone else is also, now you have taken the anxiety out of the situation. If I can, I want to shift a little bit to social media because it's one of the major distractors and, and something that I think a lot of people think they can multitask. They can you know, be with their kids at the park and on Facebook or whatever. Um, my wife is, is a great example. This last month, uh, her I guess her resolution, for lack of a better word this year, was she basically took the month off of Facebook and just got off of it completely. She's not checking it at all and has told me repeatedly how much better she feels. She feels more focused. She doesn't deal with a lot of the same anxieties uh, that, right. that those things create. So uh, can you talk a little bit about the role that that's playing in, in multitasking and, and sort of uh, maybe if people aren't willing to walk away for that am- amount of time or longer or shorter, some, some sort of tools to deal with that to cut down on, on that as a distraction in multitasking? Here is my interpretation of what your wife said. Since being off of social media, she's actually experiencing life as opposed to sort of walking through it in this series of um, visible social media platforms where it's kind of the stand-in for living. Because social media, for all the good that it that it has brought, there is also no question that what it has done is removed us from an authentic life. And here's what I mean. We spend so much time trying to take a picture, create a sanitized version of our life that we actually stop living life. We stop being in the moment. Here's why that matters. Let me tell you as a psychologist why that matters. Part of the stress and drain and burnout that we feel right now, it's when we are not engaged in our life in a meaningful way. When, we are, when our life has been reduced to a series of checklists, but then also a bunch of social media frames to tell people what we're doing as opposed to experiencing what we're doing. 
all we're doing is disconnecting ourselves from ourselves. Our, our energy is depleted. We are not engaged in our life. We, we are no longer in what we call flow, where we are in moments that we are just experiencing, kind of being in the zone where time is standing still. Instead, it's just a series of things to do. It's doing a lot more damage than we understand because we're not even experiencing life anymore. And that's the interpretation of what your wife is saying. So the same way that we have to put a boundary around, you know, being on email all the time, I would suggest the same boundary that says nothing wrong with, you know, connecting with people on social media and business. We all know it. We, we know it. But we can't, live, we can't expect to live life on social media because that's not how it works. Again, our thanks to Dr. Natalia Peart. Her book is Future Proofed, How to Navigate Disruptive Change, Find Calm in Chaos, and Success in Work and Life. Very interesting book, by the way, in the way that it is presented. We read tons and tons of self-help, self-improvement books. And this one was really interesting in the fact that she sort of incorporates a, a character narrative of uh, what, four or five different it's characters. Five people, yeah. That uh, sort of experience a lot of the uh, issues that, that we just discussed in terms of multitasking, but, but many others just in terms of um, mental fitness, physical fitness, all the things that we address on this show. So it's an interesting story with a lot of helpful advice. So I, I recommend it. You can get it through our website, thefitmess.com. And while you're there shopping around for the various books from the people we talk to, why don't you also pick up a six-pack or 12-pack of non-alcoholic beer? We have a special deal for you through Bravest Brewing Company, our sponsor out of Southern California. Click on the link to their website through ours. And when you're checking out, use the promo code FITMESS10. Get 10% off of your order for, uh, they have just some of the best non-alcoholic beers I've ever had. They have a delicious amber, an oatmeal stout, uh, and an IPA, which is, uh, I think that's my favorite. That's that's kind of my go-to. Uh, all of that available at our website, thefitmess.com. We're getting close to the end of the show here, so I guess that means it's challenge time. Let the challenge begin. So I guess it's my turn. Bring it. To give you a challenge. Four or five years ago, I, I really, really focused on taking my multitasking down and fo- and, and performing focused work uh, to the point, you know, I stopped checking emails. I turned off notifications on my phone so that I could get in, you know, a solid 25, 30 minutes of like focused work every day. While the rest of my day was still all crazy and out of whack, you know, the 25, 30 minutes that I decided to use to focus on something with no distractions, no interruptions was a glorious time. I mean, really, I, I was able to get quality work done. And whether it was personal or work, it, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So my challenge to you, Jeremy, mm-hmm. is to actually double that and find one hour per day where you can commit to doing focused work with no interruptions and get good quality work done. So I'm going to accept your challenge, uh, and I'm going to mention that it's going to require tools. I'm going to need one, the Do Not Disturb sign, which uh, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to start making, and I'm going to hang it up on my desk. Uh, and two, something I've actually used in the past. I can't remember if we've talked about it here. I wrote about it on our website, but there's a, an app. There's tons of apps, by the way, that can help you with this sort of thing. Uh, one really simple and free one is called Block and Flow. And it breaks, it's basically a timer that runs for 25 minutes. And you can segment it with different colors so that you know 
you know, as you review your week, how you spent your time or whatever. Anyways, I'm getting very detailed on this app. It's a really useful way to measure that time and to make sure that you stay focused during that time so that when the phone rings or an email pops up, you can go, you know what, I'm not doing that right now. I'm focused on this. And for all of you Android users out there where that app is not available, oh, really? what Jeremy is talking about is uh, the Pomodoro technique. So just do a quick search for Pomodoro technique. Whatever, science boy. It. You'll find it. <laughs> it's a really good – I use it all the time because it, it really – you know, if you look at something and you're like, oh, my God, that's going to take me three hours to get done. You know, committing to three hours of nothing but focused work is actually really intimidating and – I don't know. This is my personal experience with it. In my brain, it like turns on this. It turns on my my flight mm-hmm. of my fight or flight, and I procrastinate. And like all of a sudden, that's a great time to check Facebook for some reason. But if you break it up and say, "I'm going to do 25 minutes, then I'm going to take a five minute break," you don't even have to commit to the next 25 minutes. But you get a five minute break just doing 25 minutes. It, it breaks it apart. It makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll put links to both apps, to uh, to both uh, the one I use and the one Zach uses. Those will both be uh, on our website, thefitmess.com. Uh, I have a challenge for you as well as you get ready to get on your plane tomorrow. And we didn't talk about this. We so didn't not, talk about I'm this. I'm not prepped. You should be very nervous. Um, my challenge for you is to not forget us back here in Seattle because it's very easy. I, we've had a lot of conversations about how uh, you'll come back for the annual family trips out to the island. You'll come back for this and that very easy to do when you're still rooted here yes you're going to move across the country and those flights are going to look more expensive when time has passed of course all of all of those things that you're going no no i'm not letting go you're going to want to let go my challenge is to hold on as long as you can i'll take that challenge and not forget us and i agree with you when we moved out here 10 years ago we were committed to going home twice a year to see our family Mm -hmm. in the summer and and the winter time and then even just the first year, it only happened once. Mm-hmm. And But we chose to go home in the wintertime and experience the brutal cold. That's and then we idea. like didn't go home for like three years. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it, and, and that was where all of our family was. So out here in Seattle, we've, we've, we've made some close friends that mm-hmm. I consider to be part of our family. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the old saying, right? You, you don't, you don't get to choose your family. You kind of, you have to love them. Mm-hmm. But the friends that we've made out here are our family yeah. and we've, chosen them as our family so looking at it from that perspective we will make the commitment to come back out and make sure that we don't lose touch for sure uh well the and the feeling is mutual you you are our family and you will be missed uh every day except of course we'll we'll still be texting every day and in touch working on this and all of our other projects so uh it's it's not so much as goodbye as uh, you'll be the annoying alert on my phone every couple hours. Talk to you virtually, and <laughs> Talk I will to you virtually. be. And I, I, ex- I fully expect you to find something that auto replies. I'm in a 25 minute yes. mode of focus. Yeah, leave me to... alone, Zach. I'm busy editing yeah. the podcast because of all your ums or whatever. I don't know. No, it's your nose, isn't it? Oh, it's the your nose. That's right. Yeah, mine is the. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. Uh, that's it for us. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back, even though Zach is leaving us. He's still going to do this show because I won't let him not do it. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. It'll be available at thefitmess.com. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they prefer to be called, or whatever device you use, uh, or just check in at thefitmess.com. Thank you for your support. Thanks for being there, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Take care. See ya. We know. This podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything. 
but we still need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they're talking about and that you'll do your own research on the topics talked about in this podcast. The hosts of this podcast are not liable for any physical or emotional issues that might occur directly or indirectly as a result of listening to this podcast.